The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia Country. We value and respect their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to part one of the Valley Hub Stories election feature podcast. First up, some housekeeping. Politics can be a sometimes tedious issue. I think we all know that. And we want to make it clear from the outset that we always endeavour to be transparent and unbiased in the content we produce. And for this reason, this episode has not been sponsored, nor has our guest today been paid. We also disclaim that the opinions or candidates that are reflected in our election feature do not represent those of the Valley Hub. And we also declare that any party connections are made up front. This episode has been designed as an election 101 and an introduction to why we're having an election, what some of the terminology means, how we've come to have the candidates we do. Basically, if this is your first time voting or maybe your first time really thinking deeply about how to vote, or if perhaps you aren't sure about the difference between upper and lower house candidates, this is the episode for you. On the podcast today is guest Paul Sackfee. Paul has graciously given up his time and while retired is still a very busy man. He is a board member of the National and International Peak Body for Neighbourhood Centres and is also the treasurer of Coffs Harbour Neighbourhood Centre. Paul has been instrumental in attracting significant grant funding to the Nambucca Valley and having resided here for a number of years has spent his fair share of time in local politics too. So it's fair to say he knows his stuff. Paul is transparent from the outset about his connection to the Labor Party and refers to this a couple of times throughout the episode, so that's something to keep in mind. Overall, there is lots of information in today's episode and lots of means suggested if you're hungry for more. But for now, let's begin. Paul, thanks for joining me. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Can you tell me a little about you? Who are you in the world? Uh, well, my name's Paul Sekfi. Uh, I've lived in the Nambucca Valley since 1986. Um, I grew up in Melbourne and uh, went to uni in North Queensland, worked in the non-government community sector uh, most of my adult life, uh, apart from a couple of years as a consultant. I suppose the other thing is um, I'm married. I have a 40-year-old daughter. I have a granddaughter. Maria Moore, she's fantastic. Maria is Spanish for miracle. And, yeah, I've had a, an interesting uh, involvement in politics over the years. I, um, I stood 32 years ago for the seat of Oxley, 32 years ago, and I've stood five times for the federal seat of Cowper, nearly won in 2007, uh, lost by 880 votes. This year uh, I'm number 15 on the Labor Party ticket for the Legislative Council. But I'm not here to talk about the Labor Party. I'm here to talk about um, elections in general. Um, you know, people can make their own choices. That's the nature of our Westminster parliamentary system that goes by the guise of democracy in New South Wales and Australia. So, Paul, there'll be lots of uh, sort of, uh, I guess, teenagers who are coming of age, of voting age, who have experienced politics through the pandemic. And I guess that's sort of possibly been their only exposure and, and also community members who maybe haven't engaged in that, that political sphere and would like to, to kind of know a little bit more about what's expected of them, how the election impacts them. So I would love it if you could run me through 
polling day. So what happens? What what is expected of us as community members? What do we do when we get to the ballot? Tell us tell us more. Okay. So March twenty fifth is polling day in New South Wales. Um If you are on the roll, and everyone should, in my humble opinion, be on the electoral roll, there are quite a number of people in our part of the world, particularly young people and some First Nations people who aren't on the roll, I would urge them to join. It's a little bit late to get on the roll for this election. Uh, When you enrol in New South Wales, you enrol for New South Wales and the federal electoral roll at the same time. So you enrol with the Australian Electoral Commission. The New South Wales election is under the guise of the New South Wales Electoral Commission. So polling day. When you walk into the booth on polling day, um, and I'll talk a little bit about there are other options than the 25th, which we can talk about in detail. When you walk into a polling booth on polling day, you are confronted with two pieces of paper, which are ballots. One is for the New South Wales Legislative Assembly, the lower house, where the government is formed, the party with the largest number of seats, uh, majority seats, forms the government in the lower house. There are 92 electorates in New South Wales, all with about 50,000 voters in them. Uh, Thereabouts, um, uh, they have redistributions to ensure that they're pretty even numbers in each of those 92 electorates. And That's the smaller ballot paper, so there'd be like three or four or five or six, depending on how many people uh, nominate, close of nominations, um, to be on that little bit of paper as a candidate uh, close on next, today, actually, today, the 7th. No, the 8th, sorry, the 8th, today, International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. So back to the election. So the small bit of paper is for the lower house, the Legislative Assembly, you would be voting for someone in your electorate. The electorate that we cover locally here is Oxley and you would be voting for the Member of Parliament in the lower house, the member for Oxley. So that's one ballot paper. And I'll talk about the numbers and what they mean on that ballot paper in a sec. The other ballot paper is the, the I don't know what you'll call, tablecloth, the really big one, which is for the Legislative Council. The Legislative Council's the upper house. Some people would um, maybe think of it loosely as the type of state senate. So it's the House of Review. So um, it has members. It has 42 members in the New South Wales Legislative Council. And every four years, there are fixed four-year terms for voting in New South Wales. So every four years, 21 of those 42 go to election. So you're electing somebody for your local seat, Oxley, and then you are electing and part of electing some of or all of those 21 people in the upper house. Just back to the Legislative Assembly lower house voting, what you're required to do to not get fined for not voting, and you do get fined if you don't vote, if you're on the roll, it's it's the law, you know, it's compulsory voting in Australia, which probably makes us much more functional as a as a democracy compared to those crazy people over in the United States at the moment. So you need to vote. And, you know, I suppose um, that's part of the responsibility that you have as a citizen. You know, if there are rights, there are responsibility. Your responsibility is to turn up in New South Wales once every four years and in nationally once every three years and vote. You don't have to write anything on the paper. You can chuck it in the bin, but that would be a waste. But you need to have your name ticked off the roll. In the lower house... 
in New South Wales, the system of voting is called optional preferential. So you only really need to write the number one in one of the boxes against the number of candidates. There's five, I think, in Oxley. You don't need to, as you would in the federal election, write a number in all the squares. So if there's five, you'd have to write one to five. In the state election, it's optional preferential. So you only have to write one in one square. If you want to, you can write two, three, four, five. That's up to you. It's optional. That's different. And a lot of people get confused because when they go to the federal election, they only write one in the box. They are different. One for the federal national parliament. Um, You need to write all the numbers in the state, in the little ballot paper, the green ballot paper. You only really need to write one in one box. And then you're confronted with this huge tablecloth, white ballot paper for the Legislative Council. There are, I don't know, there will be lots of candidates for the 21 spots. So you can do one of two things when you fill out that ballot paper. You can write one above the line. So there will be a whole lot of boxes above a line, which would have, you know, Labor Party, National Party, Liberal Party, Greens, One Nation... I don't know, shooters and fishers, independents, a whole range of people. You see, you can write one in the box and and choose that party and the preferences from 1 to 15 of that party will be allocated as they have submitted. So you can write one above the line. So you really only have to do two things. Go in, get two ballot pipers, write one in a box on the little one and one in a box on the big one and walk out. However, you have an option again, optional preferential, in the big ballot paper to choose individuals who will be listed under each of the boxes above the line. So I mentioned that I'm on the the ticket for the Labor Party. So there is, I think, 20 people. The Labor Party maybe get seven, maybe get eight. Um, I'm in no chance of getting elected. Thank you. I don't particularly need to in my life. But you can write one to 15 underneath so you've got two options. You can write one in the little box or one, two, three, four, five in the little ballot paper or you can write one above the line in the large tablecloth and or one to at least 15 underneath. And some people choose to write one to 15 in the bigger one. Some people choose to write one above the line. So that's the, that's the physical thing of voting. You need to turn up to a polling place. There are a number of polling places in the Nambaka. I am so retentive I know them all, but I won't list them for you now. But the big ones, so people know, would be the two schools, the Green School and Red School in Nambucca Heads, the Senior Sits Centre at uh, Maxville, Scotts Head, Barraville. There's a, a number of polling places. You can look on the New South Wales Electoral Commission site. It's relatively user-friendly and find out where you can vote. But... Wait, there is more. You can also vote early. Um, so the elections day is March 25th, but on Saturday, March the 18th, early voting starts. So early voting in Nambaka Valley is next door to the newly furbished library in Nambaka Heads, the Nambaka Entertainment Centre, small hall. You can go there from I think it's 8 till 6 on Saturday the 18th and then during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, about 8 till 6 is my understanding, but on Thursday 
late night shopping, late night voting, you can go, I think, until I think they go till eight o'clock on the Thursday. So in the week before, if you find it more convenient or you can't get to a polling place on the Saturday, the 25th, you can vote early. I think that makes it easier. It ensures participation and ensures the, you know, the downside is that you, you, you get rid of the, the problem of being fined for not voting. Mm. So there's really no excuse. Mm. I mean, you know, I would urge people to vote. I think, you know, we live in this wonderful country of Australia and voting for governments, you don't have to like them, but voting for governments that generally, depending on the, your view, but generally governments of both persuasions do good by Australia. That's why we have a pretty free pretty safe, pretty friendly country, the envy of many other countries in the world. And, you know, like I live in New South Wales, I think New South Wales is a pretty good place. I live in Nambucca, we elect our council, we elect our state parliament, we elect our, our federal parliament. Voting doesn't hurt. It's it's easy. There you go. I want to talk about party preferentials that you touched on before, but I also want to talk about the geographical area of Oxley. So where... What does Oxley encompass? Okay, so if you just take a, a, a bit of a helicopter view, uh, the seat north of Oxley is Coffs Harbour and the seat south of Oxley is Port Macquarie. So Oxley is the, the, the bit in the middle. So Oxley runs from the northern boundary of Ballingen Shire, so that includes Dorigo and Ballingen and Urunga and Glenifer, you know, just a little bit further north of Ballingen Town. And it runs down through the Nambucca Valley Shire, uh, the Kempsey Shire, and part of the Port Macquarie Hastings Shire. So everything west of the Pacific Motorway, south of the line that becomes Port Macquarie Hastings Shire. Like so, Cundabung is in, and then west of Cundabung down the highway, all the way down to Comboyne. So you've got places like Rollins Plains. Long Flat, Comboyne, and of course Warhope in Oxley. So Oxley's really um, the place that doesn't have a big regional centre. It has the smaller towns, you know, like Ballingen, Maxwell, Nambucca Heads, Barraville. I suppose you could say the biggest biggest town is Kempsey, but, you know, Southwest Rocks, Crescent Head, uh, Warhope. Um, and then, you know, you go along the Oxley Highway, um, seat of Oxley, Oxley Highway, you can go out to... Um, a long flat. You can go along the highway from Kempsey out Willowar and Bellbrook. So you know, like it's a really, it's it's the largest geographical area seat on on the north coast, mm. north of Port Stephens. But there's a commonality in terms of you know not having a big regional centre like Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour. When my daughter was growing up, she always used to um, think about when we were going to get McDonald's, and um, we went on a a bit of a holiday, a, a you know a car car holiday, motor holiday, and she worked out that you needed to have a population of 10,000 to get a Maccas. And so, you know, maybe we have a lot of places in Oxley that don't have a Maccas. We have a couple that do. Not that that's not that that's a good way of understanding politics, but it's a good way of understanding the way the population is distributed in what is quite a large geographic area. Mm. So you talked before about voting above the line and how various parties have party other party affiliations. So can you explain that for me? Okay, so when you go to vote, there will be all these people like me handing out how to votes. So because it's it's just two different systems, so let's just talk about the lower house for starters. The lower house um, optional preferential. So there will be 
people handing out a how to vote for the Independent or a how to vote for the Greens or the Labor Party or the National Party or the Legalised Cannabis Party, and they will suggest to their voters to vote a particular way. So, you know, maybe the National Party will do what they did last time and say just vote one for the National Party candidate. But you can suggest to people that they vote one to five or one to six depending on how many candidates there are. It's optional. So the how to votes from the particular party or candidate that you are interested in will give you some guide about they how they suggest you vote. But, you know, you don't have to follow what they say. You can do what you like. If you have a preference, you know, like maybe somebody wants to vote for the Labor and vote for the Greens or vote for an independent and then vote for Labor after that or vote for the independent and a national party after that, they can make that choice. It's, it's a democratic individual choice. It is private voting, so, you know, that's your choice. You don't have to tell anyone how you voted. It's between you and the bit of paper when you're in, when you're in the little booth in the polling centre. So simple, at the um, smaller ballot paper, the legislative assembly uh, option, gets a bit more complicated in the upper house, in the legislative council. So you think about this 21 people to be elected half of the 42, and that happens every four years. So they have eight-year terms, so, you know, they stagger. So you think about it, all of those 21 people are elected to represent all of New South Wales. But there's 21 people and there's a quota. So, you you know, to get elected you need to make a quota of whatever, uh, what, four and a half million, whatever that quota is, and, you know, some, some votes would exhaust So there will be parties. Um, So in the upper house, there's a whole range of parties. So, you know, there's the major parties. There's um, Labor, National Party, Liberal Party, Greens. Then you get to some of the smallest, Shooters, Fishers and Farmers, uh, One Nation Party, Legalised Cannabis, uh, Animal Justice. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any others. Um, I don't think – oh, there might be a Christian Party, although – the Christian Party guy who's in the upper house at the moment, Fred Nile, who's retiring after umpteen years there, he's an independent, um, not necessarily a party-affiliated person. So they all would have a view about where their preferences should go. So if you write one on the big tablecloth ballot paper, if you write one in the box above the line, that party would have determined where their preferences go. So that matters for two reasons. One is... If they get more than a quota, the excess of their vote gets distributed where their preferences, you know, where they say their preferences should go. That's one way that it matters. The other way it matters is if they don't get enough votes, someone else's excess might go to them and get them across the line. They are determined by the parties and or the independent candidates for the Legislative Council and lodged with the Electoral Commission tomorrow. So they would have done conversations tomorrow about how all of those preferences lay. So if you want to vote for, I don't know, whoever, Fred Nurk, and Fred Nurk says, I want all my preferences to go to this particular way or that particular way, if you vote one above the line, Fred Nurk's view of where his preferences should go are what happens. But if you vote below the line, you have to fill in 15 numbers minimum for it to be valid, you can choose. So you might say, well, I want someone from this party, someone from that party, 
I want that independent. And so you can spend your time filling out 15 numbers below the line and your choice. So you might like a particular person in the Labor Party. You might like a particular person in the Liberal Party. You might like someone in the Animal Justice Party or the Greens or the Legalised Cannabis, whatever. You might like this particular person and think, well, I'll vote for the person, not necessarily the party, and you've got that option going under the line. But you've got to, to make your vote valid, you've got to uh, number 15 squares. Mm. I hope that's clear. It's, yeah. it's, it's sometimes confusing because, in a way, giving people options starts to give people a, the potential for confusion, but it's pretty straightforward. So interesting language you've used to say talking about voting for an individual rather than a party. So if I'm getting to the ballot paper and I'm looking at the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party or I'm looking at the Legalised Cannabis Party, how can I understand what that actually means? Because, you know, does it mean that that party, that specific party is an advocate for that specific area and not much else? Or does it? how can I kind of interpret? Ah, right. So isn't the interweb a wonderful thing? All of the parties, particularly the parties, it's a bit more difficult. I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested in this, so I look. But all of the parties would have their policies laid out on their particular websites. Many of them have Facebook pages. So there's two levels. The Facebook pages and the local stuff is pretty Facebook and pretty local. So, you know, like for uh, the candidates for Oxley, they would all have a Facebook page, I'm pretty sure. So you can go and have a look at the Facebook page. The ballot draw is tomorrow. So tomorrow morning at the electoral office in Kempsey, there will be a draw for the order of people on the ballot paper and you will then know who all of the candidates are. So they will publish the all of the candidates who have nominated at the close of nominations today. So you can go and have a look at who all of those people are on the New South Wales Electoral Commission website for Oxley, so look up Oxley and then I'll tell you. And you can then go and follow their Facebook pages and find out about what their policies are. I'm involved in the Labor Party. There's a whole suite of policies from environmental policies, uh, industrial policies, health policies, education policies. Same for the major parties. You know, the larger parties have a, a suite of developed policies. Some parties, so example, say legalised cannabis, they have a range of policies. They're not just about legalising cannabis. They have a range of policies across a whole lot of areas. But their focus and their name is a particular aim that they want to get. I suppose a, a good example that I've had a little bit to do with in the past is Animal Justice Party. So Anim Animal Justice Party, particularly interested in animal welfare. They're interested in um, the welfare of farm animals, and have run um, very interesting campaigns around um, the treatment of um, battery chickens. Is that good? Is that bad? Do we want to have a better, more inverted commas, humane way of treating animals? Um, you know, you would have remembered, some people would remember the whole idea of uh, how sheep are treated with crutching in sheep and whether that's a good practice or a bad practice. So um, they have a particular focus. The major parties... And I suppose the major, the three major parties in New South Wales who have the most seats in the lower house and in the upper house are the Labor Party, they have the most seats, and then you have a coalition of the Liberal and National Party. At the moment, of the 92 seats in the upper house, I think 
The National and Liberal Party have about 45 of them. The Labor Party, I think, has something like 36. So if there's 92 seats to have an absolute majority, you need 47, you know, half plus one. So for the government to change, there would have to be a large number of seats changed from the major governing coalition to the uh, major opposition party. But, you know, that's not to discount the minor parties. They're in the game. Um, you know, the Greens have members in the lower house. Uh, the Shooters and Fishers have members in the lower house. There are a number of independents. And there is one, and I'm sorry, I find it difficult to say this without clenching my teeth, there is a, a One Nation Party member in the lower house. Her name's Tanya Mahaliuk. She was a Labor Party member, but because she didn't like the Labor Party anymore, she went and joined One Nation, a bit like their leader in New South Wales, Mark Latham. I don't understand how they can go from the Labor Party to One Nation. No, sorry, that's me. I'm trying not to be partisan. Um, I'm trying to give people in this conversation an understanding that when you vote, to make your vote count, it's worthwhile trying to understand what it is that you are voting for. You know, like, so you can look at the policies on the websites of the major parties. All of them would have published those policies. Some of them are parallel. Like a lot of the policies that, say, the National Party and the Liberal Party would be pretty similar because they're in coalition. But then, you know, I suppose the difference in policies between the major opposition and the government party is, is around emphasis. So, you know, like there's, a, there's an argument about health at the moment, there's an argument about education. The biggest difference in Oxley, and, you know, it may be that it changes people's vote, the one that I see that's the biggest difference is the Labor Party and the Greens uh, both support the establishment of a Great Koala National Park. The National Party, who are the local part of the coalition here, don't support a Great Koala National Park. They'd say you don't need one to protect koalas. The Greens uh, have been very strong on this. The Labor Party has taken that policy to the last three elections. So, you know, there are issues that you can identify with the parties having more emphasis or more commitment to that changes. Um, what, what else can I say? I think, I think that's probably enough without me starting to spruik on behalf of my mob. Yeah. So on that topic, let's talk about the candidates in the lower house. So we have some independent candidates and then we obviously have party affiliated candidates. Can you talk some about how an independent candidate works in comparison to a Well, party okay. So there is uh, – let's just talk about how – like it's probably the way to describe it is to describe how the parties work and then how the independents are different to that. You know, and independents have got a bit of a name for themselves after the last federal election, you know, where you had the teal independents who were not affiliated to parties. And so, you know, they run their own race in terms of policy. I'll tell you how the Labor Party works. So the Labor Party has a thing called caucus, which is all the members of parliament for the Labor Party. And they determine how they will vote on any particular motion in Parliament through the majority of that caucus. So, you know, there will be some people in the caucus that want to vote one way, some people that want to vote another way. They will have a vote and then everyone goes in and votes that way. So the, in the Labor Party, that's a big discipline. It's the biggest difference between the Labor Party and other parties is that the caucus decision is paramount. 
and you can get expelled from the Labor Party, still be in Parliament, but get expelled from the Labor Party if you don't follow the caucus decision. That's a very big difference and a discipline that comes out of the 135-year history of the Labor Party in New South Wales and, and federally around caucus is supreme. That doesn't mean that there aren't really strong policy discussions. And the policy generally is determined in the Labor Party by the annual conference, which is 800 delegates in the town hall discussing policy, you know. So an example of that back using, and I'm not trying to particularly push, but it's a good example to use, the policy around the Great Koala National Park was a policy that was adopted at the last uh, annual conference, which was held in the town hall last October. So there was a, a, a debate and there was a vote and a clear majority of conference decided we would support a Great Koala National Park. Then it's up to the caucus to work out how that policy actually gets implemented. The National Party and the Liberal Party have party rooms. They determine how they will vote based on a party room, similar to caucus but not as strictly enforced they have party rooms how they will and determine how they will vote. But in the National Party and Liberal Party, you can choose to vote differently to the party room decision and not suffer the consequences of being expelled. But people could get pushed out and, you know, people can get shunned or they might not get a, a, a leadership position if they don't follow the, the party line, you know. So there is a thing, the party line on mm. on on in the coalition and the Labor Party. The Greens have a party room. They're pretty disciplined as well. I'm not sure how they work, but I'm sure that they have a fairly strong discipline about following the party line. But you would have seen recently that in relation to The Voice, Lydia Thorpe decided she didn't want to support the Greens party line on The Voice and she's now no longer a a member of the Greens. That's in the Senate, but, you know, like an example of how that works. So you then get to independence. Well, and, you know, like, and as I said, other parties, animal justice, legalised cannabis, Australian Christians, um, I don't know, there's a few, uh, shooters, fishers, farmers, they would have a set of policies that they would pursue and they would expect that their voters understood them and supported those suite of policies. Because there's not a lot of them, you know, it's not 20 or 30 or 40 people in a party room, they're not necessarily going to have the same sort of argy-bargy. You know, there's a... Um, and I'm not trying to be horrible, there's a narrower focus. But if you look at independence, what I see independence doing is having a set of views that they state before the election and then a whole range of policies that they can make a decision on based on the merits of that particular motion to parliament or policy to parliament. So, you know, let's think about it. You know, a lot of the independents would have our view on, you know, there was a couple of contentious issues uh, in the last parliament. Dying with dignity, for example, very contentious issue. You know, people have strong views on either side of that. All of the major parties gave people a conscience vote and that conscience vote meant that people in those parties could choose how they voted and wouldn't suffer the consequences of voting one way or another. The independents always have a conscience vote, you know, so there's a way of you know, looking at how they are uh, less bound by party structure. Those of us in the major parties see a transparency and a contract with the community that we're asking to vote for us because we go through a a transparent process as a conference. 
that people know what our policies are across a whole range of things. They know what our priorities are. They know what we're going to do. So there's an expectation. In the history of New South Wales, mostly there's a, a party of government, there's a coalition that form a party of government with the National Party and Liberal Party in coalition and the Labor Party. So they would be the two sides of government. I'm not trying to diss the others, but the smaller parties are called minor parties for a reason. They may well help a government form. So if you look at the current parliament, I think it's 45, I might be wrong, so not quite a majority of 47 for the Liberal National Parties. They depend on the support of independents to make sure that they can have a majority on the floor of parliament. So there would be Shooters and Fishers, there would be One Nation and there's a couple of independents. Um, Alex Greenwich is a member for Sydney and I can't remember the name, uh, first name, Piper, who's a member for around Lake Macquarie, just south of Newcastle there. They're independents, you know. Um, I know Alex. Alex has spoken at a, an AGM that I attended. He followed Clover Moore as an independent member for Sydney. So, you know, those people can choose to make a government, a bit like people might recall um, Rob Oakeshott and Tony Windsor um, helping Julia Gillard form a minority government. You need to be able to prove on the floor of the Legislative Assembly that you can control a majority so that you can secure supply, you can secure the Treasury so that you've got the money to run the government and you need a majority in the lower house to do that. The Legislative Council is a really different animal. There are it's really not a majority of anyone in the Legislative Council. You know, um, to probably be 15 Labor, maybe 17... 18 um, Coalition, um, there's Fred Nile, there's um, Justin Field as independents, there's Shooters and Fishers, there's Mark Latham, One Nation, and there's Greens. You know, so like the upper house is, is a bit more amorphous in terms of the party stuff. And what they do, in order to get a bit of legislation through, you have to have both houses pass the legislation. So something might come from the Legislative Assembly, go to the Legislative Council, might get amended, might get rejected. So there's negotiation. So there's a little bit of a check and balance. So it's a little bit interesting. My particular view, personal view, is that if it's messy in the upper house, it makes it difficult to govern and therefore you have less certainty. But, you know, people have a different view. They're allowed to have a different view. So... If there was one piece of advice, I don't want to say advice because that feels very loaded in this context, <laughs> doesn't it? If, if there was one piece of, oh, I guess, an antidote that you could pass on in terms of voting being a social responsibility to new voters or maybe people who've been disengaged from the political sphere, what would that be? Okay. There's two examples. One of them, I have a few friends in the UK, you know, they're um, good friends, they I work with them in the, the field of neighbourhood centres internationally. And we talked about the Brexit vote, you know, the, you know, leaving the European Union. You know, they have optional voting, you know, it's not compulsory. So when they had the Brexit vote, 53% of people voted. No, 51% of people voted and 53% of those 51 decided to leave the EU. That's not 
necessarily reflective of the whole view. So, you know, maybe there's a whole lot of people that are regretting Brexit, you know, like um, have a look at the, the number of prime ministers they've had and all of the turmoil in England. You know, not that England's a, a model for Australia ever, you know, let's be a republic. Sorry, oops, I leak. But I suppose what I'd say is, and, and sorry, and the other one is the US. So I was in, um, in Queens, you know, on the other side of the East River from New York, visiting a neighbourhood centre in 2019. I was talking to the bloke that ran the neighbourhood centre and his neighbourhood centre was next to the largest, the largest um, public housing estate in New York, huge, you know. And um, he said, oh, Paul, you'd really like to come down and have a look at the park on the river. It's where um, the Democrats had a, uh, had a rally the other day. And I said, oh, where AOC endorsed Bernie Sanders. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, there was a lot of people there. I read about it in the paper. It's like eight, ten thousand. Is that big for New York? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, that would have been really interesting. They would have engaged all of the people in the public housing. You know, I, I imagine they would like the Democrats and and um, not particularly, you know, not particularly like, you know, Donald Trump and the Republicans because they're not so friendly to those people. He goes, no, 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 there was no one there. They didn't even come and talk to our neighbourhood centre. I said, but you're a really big neighbourhood centre. You've been here for a century and you work with all these people. He goes, no, no, they were just rent a crowd. Optional voting means that people don't engage. Mm. If people don't engage, what happens is I think people get cynical. So there's an equation in terms of being a citizen in the country that I've always understood from when I was a lot younger and that is that the two things that go together are rights and responsibilities. If you enjoy the rights of Australia, the freedom rights we have, for me to have this conversation with you and not have Big Brother listening to what I'm saying or people censoring what we do or being able to express yourself, choose your football team, particularly like a particular band or, or go somewhere to a rally, if you enjoy those rights, then you have a responsibility and the responsibility is to get on the roll and then when you're on the roll, to vote. I care about how you vote because I have a particular view, but I respect that people can vote whichever way they choose. You know, that's part of the democratic system is voting. The other part of the democratic system that I think is part of that equation in terms of rights and responsibilities is how we live our lives. You know, democracies are not just about what happens at the ballot box. Democracies are also about how we live in our communities and how we look after each other and how we make the place safe and friendly. But if you want to make sure that that bit works, you've got to play in the other bit and vote. Well, thank you so much for giving us a wealth of information. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure. People can see you at the Senior Citizens Hall. I'll be handing out a couple of days and um, I think I've got Maxville booth, you know, that's where I have yep. all my friends on the other parties where we talk to all day. Yep. And it's a big booth, you know, 2,200 2, odd people yep. vote at Maxville usually. So, yeah, yeah, I'll yep. be around. Um, I'll be the guy in the red T-shirt with Labor on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to part one of the Valley Hub Stories election feature. Part two features your local candidates talking about the issues they feel are important to the community and how they intend to keep listening to you, their constituents. Tune in on your favourite podcast platform now. Listener.